Welcome to Principles of Wealth, a podcast built at the intersection of finances and real-life values. I'm your host, Holly Mazaka. On this podcast, we'll walk through real-life stories of finances and wealth while addressing some of the most commonly asked questions we receive from our clients. At Bartlett Wealth Management, we know that the path to pursuing your financial goals is not a straight one. It comes with twists and turns, pit stops, unexpected roadblocks, and even a few pleasant surprises along the way. We're here to help you navigate this journey by providing stories and insights that you can apply to your own unique path. We'll dive into conversations that address the question, what is the purpose of my wealth? This podcast will cover a range of topics, including current dynamics in the financial markets, planning for retirement, charitable giving that aligns with your values, passing wealth on to future generations, exploring business transitions, and so much more. Welcome to today's show. We have a very exciting lineup. First, I'll be sharing details around our new women-focused initiative, We Invest. Then I'll be joined by a very special guest, Wijdan Dresat. Wijdan is a shareholder and attorney with Katz Teller who has focused her practice on family and employment law. I knew that she would be the perfect guest to help me explore the unique power of women coming together to both inspire and challenge each other to reach greater heights. And then stay tuned for the end of our show for Jim Haggerty's latest take on the markets as he reflects back on lessons learned in the third quarter and plans ahead for the final stages of the year. In September, we were excited to launch Women Empowered to Invest, or We Invest, Bartlett's new female-focused initiative aimed at empowering women in every area of their life, including their financial lives. The idea for We Invest blossomed out of a simple question. What more can we do to support our female clients? 2020 was incredibly hard for all of us, but it seemed to be especially hard on women as the many roles we play were suddenly smashed together. Professional, mother, caregiver, volunteer, teacher. As we listened to our clients, we realized at the heart of it all, women were craving connection. They wanted a deeper connection with their wealth, the chance to ask important questions, gather more data, and make informed decisions. They were seeking connections with others, a chance to learn in community, build knowledge together, share insights. They wanted to know they weren't alone. The tricky part of this is that many of us don't feel comfortable talking about money with our friends and family. We don't know who to turn to with some of life's most sensitive and important questions. Enter We Invest. Bartlett developed our new program with the understanding that financial advice is not gender neutral. Women's financial lives are different. Women often get paid less, have more debt, do more unpaid labor, care for aging parents, and live longer. We Invest is designed to acknowledge these differences and address the needs of female investors in a way that the financial industry has largely overlooked. There's a special power in women learning in community with one another, and it's so important to surround yourself with a circle of women who both inspire and challenge you. One of the women in my circle is Wijdan Dresat, an attorney with Katz Teller and a strong female in our local community here in Cincinnati. 
Advocating for women is literally a part of her job. Widgetan thrives on bringing people together and creating relationships. And I have to tell you, every time we chat, she comes with some new piece of wisdom, whether it's professional or personal. She has great insights to share, and I am so excited for her to join us here today. Welcome, Widgetan. Well, thank you, Holly. It's great to be here. I was so excited to be able to share your story with others and just share some of the insights that you've learned from your professional experiences and and also your personal ones. So I'd love just to hear a little bit of background on you and what really developed this passion for working with women. So I actually was born in Jordan and immigrated here when I was 10 years old, uh, directly to Louisville, Kentucky, as you would. And then uh, after uh, attending college and going to law school, I actually relocated here to the Cincinnati area and have been here for 27 or so years. So um, I, coming from a more traditional society, I was, uh, interestingly enough, raised in a traditional family, traditional society, but by a very feminist mother. And so I sort of uh, early on was very much focused on the role of women and in particular any inequities that I saw in how women are treated and and very quickly based on both that upbringing, but also the fact that I've always been um, very focused on connecting with others and so trying to connect with other people to sort of empower them to to lend a voice, to be the voice at times, but hopefully f- help them find their own. Um, I have found myself drawn to issues that are focused particularly on women and empowering women because that has been personally important in my journey. And I have found it very fulfilling to try to help others on theirs. So as we think about this common story, this plot line that we hear in both of our industries, so often it's it's around this idea that women investors are risk averse, that women don't like taking on risk. Does your experience prove this out or is there another layer we need to explore here? So I would say yes, in that obviously the statistics, the research I think is pretty clear about women's uh, women's risk-averse uh, strategies typically or their their preference for kind of safer investing, safer decisions, safer, safer uh, options. But I would challenge us to think of it a little bit differently. From my perspective, part of it is that we as a society have really socialized and normalized certain things for women that are actually incredibly risky. So when I think about it, I think the the, the very – act of having a child from you know the 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 literal physical act of having a child which is incredibly risky physically speaking that's a really big stress on your life uh, and on your body um, but more importantly so frequently women end up stepping out of the workplace if they have been working at all sometimes people won't work at all and they'll they will simply take the role of a mother and a homemaker but even if they've been working it is very common for a woman to if not step away entirely certainly step out for a period of time to raise children and i think that is something that is 
not seen as, you know, that is in fact so normalized that it is encouraged. It's certainly something that's supported. And we don't think of it as the huge risk that it really is, both in terms of obviously the woman's career progression. As you mentioned, that's one part, one reason why some would say that earning levels are certainly different is that mm-hmm. that taking that time away from the career. But I think it also ends up uh, setting up a a huge risk for the the woman herself in terms of her own progress, not just from a career standpoint, but her own development in terms of how she feels about her role in the family, her role in society, her role in terms of her own independence. And as we know, so frequently, life intervenes, Mm -hmm. i.e. 2020 being a perfect example of if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. And so life intervenes so that those plans that you've made with your spouse or with your partner to try to plan your life and maybe one of you takes time off to take care of the family, the answer is you may not, those plans may not come to fruition for a variety of reasons and you're left kind of holding the bag. I also see the the other factor that I think really affects this is this fear of failure that you see so frequently with women, the idea of sort of the the pursuit of trying to be a perfectionist, the fear of failure. You see all the studies about, you know, women will not apply for a job unless they meet 100% of the criteria. I think that comes into play in this as well. When you think about it, I had to look this up today because my I'm not a sports person, but my <laughs> nephew is a huge baseball fan. Um, and batting 300, as I understand, is a great average in baseball. Batting 300 is basically a 30% success rate. And so if you think about it that way, when you think about investing, which obviously you have to be able to bear some of the downsides, you've got to take those opportunities, there will be ups, there will be downs. I think so frequently versus, say, a boy who's been raised to think that batting 300 is actually great. Uh, If you are a a girl who has been socialized to, again, be afraid of failure, to try to, you know, meet all the criteria before you can try out for the job, I think those kinds of narratives that keep playing in our brains prevent us from being more willing to take the rock and roll of the market or the rock and roll of general investing that I think you do need to take in order to really be able to maximize the benefits there. That's a really interesting point on sort of the untold perceptions that are out there. It's not something that someone just comes out and says, but when you really take a step back and think about it, it's it's absolutely there. And I'd say from our perspective, working with female clients, oftentimes it's the the lack of really the in-depth knowledge that they're craving. And once you can sit down and spend the time to walk through the holistic plan and to really dive into the why behind the investments and the way it's going to work and the expectations that we should set up front, then they can build that plan and stick with that plan and build it for the long term. But you're exactly right. You you can't expect to be perfect 100% of the time. It's, you know, that's just not the way that mother market works. So that's a really big part of it is this idea of the access to information, setting that right expectation, and just thinking about how have we normalized certain risks and maybe played up others. You know, building on that, there are a lot of sensitive topics in the work that we do. And one of those that I know you deal with quite frequently is the dreaded discussion of 
having the money conversation before marriage. And this might be a first marriage. It might be a second marriage later on in life. And the the word that always comes up is prenup. And it's such a scary word. But as you think about that, how do you coach your clients to have these sensitive conversations around money with their spouse or significant other before entering into any sort of legal agreement. You're right. The, the There is nothing less sexy in a relationship or less romantic than talking about a prenup. So most people <laughs> feel like, oh my goodness, what am I doing at the same time that I'm excited about my wedding planning? I'm now discussing this. Um, but to me, and and as I sit here today, I'm happy to tell you that I am I am married, happily married for 26 years today, in fact. And Congratulations! So, well, thank you. Thank you. But I think one of the keys to any successful relationship is always communication. And as you said, one of the keys that you find in working with clients is really an understanding and a discussion about the why of what we're doing things. To me, when people have a conversation about a prenup, it's really about talking about what they're understanding expectation and desires are as to their financial needs. And, you know, so frequently you will find that that is really one of the, if not the most significant factor in the failure of most marriages is money issues one way or the other, whether it's too much money, too little money, disconnected um, approaches to money, you know, inconsistent uh, desires about money, all of those kinds of things frequently lead couples to part ways. And so the prenup conversation I usually tell people is an opportunity for you and your and your soon-to-be spouse at a time when both of you are in the right frame of mind, when you are in it together, you're in it to, you know, do what's right by each other, to be fair to each other, but to also listen to the other and hear what is important, what is significant, what worries you. It's an opportunity to talk about what are the things I worry about? What are the things I expect going out of this? What would look what does this look like if we take some of these ch- chances and risks together, such as one of us staying out of the workplace for a period of time, or maybe one of us pursuing a different job than we might otherwise pursue, what does that look like and how does that play out? And when I sort of recast that conversation as really a preliminary discussion about your expectations about money and how you handle money in the marriage, how you want to deal with each other through that, because so frequently... Those money issues will also play out into the relationship dynamics. How you handle the money ends up affecting how you handle each other in the relationship. And so when you think about it in terms of setting the stage and setting the expectations for that, ideally finding out that you're both going to be on the same page. But if you're not having the opportunity at the outset to talk about that, to understand why you each feel as you do, to try to... Uh, be accommodating of and and caring about the concerns and the issues of the other person, that frequently ends up building a stronger foundation going into a marriage. So when people say, well, if I talk about a prenup, doesn't that mean that I'm already halfway checked out of the marriage? The answer is no. It's really about, again, building a common understanding as you're getting ready to make a major decision in your life, which is joining together with this other person and making sure that the two of you have had the conversations that for some folks, they really have not had. And and that to me is a big miss. So whether it's the conversation at the beginning of your life, whatever that looks like, if you're young or if it's a later in life marriage, the beginning of your life, it's, I think, for the same reason that another part of our uh, of our work 
in the law firm is obviously estate planning. So at the end of life discussions, right? The the fact of the matter is these are not comfortable discussions to be had. Most of us don't want to think about things going wrong, don't want to think about what happens at that point. But when you prepare for it, and more importantly, when you give some thought to how do I want this to go and do that in a way that is intentional, that is thoughtful, that is, you know, governed by input and and insight from those that you care about, I think you tend to be a much better decision maker in general. That's a really good point on just the power of communication that you may decide that no prenup is necessary, but at the same time, just having those what can be sticky conversations up front so that you can build that baseline and then move on from there. And and I do find it it's best that it's not just one big conversation, you know, hey, we hired this lawyer, we're going to go in and battle this out. Uh, it's more of those just small snippets over time, you know, take it bite by bite. That's sort of the idea here is build that foundation so that when these difficult things come up, you really have a baseline to grow from. Right. And, you, and you've done it at a time when the two of you are kind of on the same team. Yeah. Absolutely. So you mentioned this idea of estate planning, and I think that is another topic that comes up all the time. And as you said, it's one that is not fun to talk about. No one wants to talk about it. But at the same time, having these conversations, whether it's with our spouse around what we want our own legacies to look like, or with our parents around caring for them, the financial factors involved, what do they want, What are your tips for starting those conversations? So uh, I will share with you that, first of all, if I I had a superpower, I suppose it would be that I take on difficult conversations with, you know, easier than the average bear. So with that in mind, though, I recognize that these are not the kinds of conversations most people look forward to. I think it's, again, it comes, it's coming at it from a place of love and caring. And so, um, you know, in my own life, I have had to think about this in terms of my aging parents, um, my in-laws, my family by choice, as I call them, you know, lots of people around me who are getting to a point where we need to be having those conversations. And it's usually, I think it's easier to talk about it in terms of legacy. What Mm -hmm. do you want to see happen? You know, what does that look like for you? I hate to say it, but frequently, I just came from a funeral yesterday. You know, those are the kinds of terrible things that happen that also create an opening for you to say, you know what, what do you see happening? What do I don't want to be in a position where if something happens to you, I don't know what your wishes and desires are. Or talking about it, whether it's to your own spouse, thinking about it in your own mind. I find, you know, I'm one of these weird people that sometimes sits there and thinks, what's going to happen at my funeral? And what would I say? And what would I want to have happen? I think those are natural points to sort of think about these things. But ideally, you want to be planning for these things and trying to get the information and more importantly, try to get people thinking about how do you want this to go? I think most people want the autonomy and the control. That's something that we're all looking toward and working toward in our lives is to be able to be in control of our own lives. As you get older, I think that's one of the hardest things to try to accept is that you may not be in a position where you can do that for yourself and giving up some of that control for the better, you know, for the better good, if you will, uh, can be a very difficult thing. But I think when you think through it in terms of this is a way for me to determine 
and be autonomous about what it is that I want, whether it's how I want my money spent, how I want my arrangements made, how I want, you know, my life to play out, again, recognizing we can do all the planning we want. And at the end of the day, things intervene, but at least the more opportunities that you have to set in place those at least expectations and communications to those in your life, I think the far more likely that you're going to be able to be happy with what the end result looks like. So step one, channel your inner witch, Dan. That's right. Going into these conversations. That is right. But your pocket witch, Dan, as one of my friends calls it. So she <laughs> says, I need my pocket witch, Dan, to, to do this. But but it is, it's about pushing ahead through the discomfort. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you're going to be far more uncomfortable if you never had the conversation or if nothing was ever done about it. And whether and i do find so often that having the conversation kind of relaxes everybody because so frequently i think there's a lot of stress and a lot of um a lot of fear you know the ambiguity of it all that's what when i approach something with a client i frequently understand that the ambiguity is frankly 90% of the problem yeah. sometimes just knowing what the what the road looks like helps to calm you down. Even though you may not know, you may not get to the end of the road today, you may not know how you're going to navigate the road, but at least having the lay of the land and understanding what the options are gives you a little bit more comfort and a little bit more power. That's a great way of thinking about it, just laying out that guide path. And you, Benjamin Franklin has a quote that is something along the lines of, if you fail to plan, you are planning to fail. And we all know that great plans often go awry, as you were saying, you know, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong, but at least having that roadmap there that you can flex off of over time. Absolutely. So talk to us a little bit about the positive side of planning and how have you found that the proper planning can really help your clients develop their passions? Well, I think that, again, I am a big believer that we make better decisions when we have more information true woman, I guess. <laughs> when all is said and done, more information means better everything. Uh, but the reality is whether, as I said, whether it kind of dries down your anxiety or at least gives you opportunities to reflect and think about other things. But to me, the more information you have, the better uh, you can explore what your options are. So whether it is something like really stepping back and trying to think through what are the ramifications of me stepping away from my career, whether it's for a few years or maybe permanently, and how does that look like, and what kinds of things am I giving up, but also getting in exchange? And I think so frequently, those types of decisions are made with a very short time frame in place. We're, fo we're very focused in the moment of how do I manage what I have to manage right this year, and we don't step back to say, okay, but this year, that, that will make my life a lot easier this year. But what happens then playing this out and seeing the ripple effects of it? But I also think it's the opportunity to sort of think big and think about what are the things that I want to do um, in a perfect world by focusing your energy on what it is, where you want to go. You are able to better plan for it, but you're also more likely to get there. I think so yeah. frequently, and especially I would say the last two years, which have felt like 
two decades. It, you know, the time is just a blur. And being able to step back for a minute and just kind of think about where do I want to be, not just continuing to kind of do the things I need to do just to get through today, to get through the week, to get through the month, to get through next thing you know, boom, here we are in October of 2021. And wait a minute, what just happened? I think taking that time and trying to focus on it, but then also looking at it as an opportunity for you to do other things beyond yourself. So for me, for example, one of the things that I have really, I don't think of myself as a particularly materialistic person, but one of the the ways that I have really focused sort of the wealth conversation in my life has been about what that wealth can do for others, what that wealth can do both in terms of providing for my loved ones, but more importantly, also being able to do more within my community to really be transformative in a way that it would not be possible for me to do otherwise. Um, And so I think when you think about it in terms of those opportunities to step back and find something that you really care about and dig in on how can I really kind of move the needle on this issue. Um, And sometimes that is getting involved at a policy level to be able to do things, but sometimes it really is just being able to provide the funding, the dollars to really push something one way or the other and being in a position to try to do that by better planning on your part and focusing on kind of that uh, transformative gift. Yeah, having that North Star out there, the sort of the reason why behind what it is that you're building and working to achieve, whether that's as an individual or as a family unit. That's really powerful. Thank you so much, Wijdan, for joining us. This has been so much fun. And I know that we could sit here and chat all day. Well, I really appreciated the time and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Absolutely. And for all of you who are interested in learning more about We Invest, you can visit our website at www.bartlett1898.com slash we invest. Before we wrap up our show today, I'd like to welcome our CEO, Jim Haggerty, back to our show to share a brief commentary on the past quarter of market performance. Jim has a skill for pulling out really key takeaways from the past and helping us apply it to next steps. With that, I'll pass it off to Jim. Thanks, Holly. Um, It's interesting to look back at the third quarter. Um, The market measured by the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones more or less finished where it started, and the same could be said of the bond market. But a lot of drama, and it climaxed with a swoon in September, a period during which stocks broadly fell about 5%, and uh, bonds also declined. And that has aroused a lot of concerns as to what might be next. People are keenly aware of these factors like inflation, uh, which which certainly seems to be percolating. And uh, so the September swoon aroused a lot of worries. Our thinking is that it's very difficult to predict markets over short periods of time. Uh, Is this swoon going to continue in October? Is it the beginning of a more severe bear market? Uh, are these inflation pressures going to last throughout the next year or longer? Very difficult to predict those factors with any precision. Uh, we think it just highlights the importance of always being risk aware. Don't wait for a September swoon to make you think about risk and, and the risk of your portfolio. You should be all, always be aware of risks, and that should be factored into 
investment policies around asset allocation, uh, balance, diversification, cash planning, those should you should be mindful of those things all the time and not just alert to them after a market decline. The other thing I think it highlights is the importance of thinking long-term. Um, over the last 30 years, the stock market measured by the Dow and S&P is up tenfold. And that may seem stupendous, but it works out to about an 8% annual growth rate, 8% annual progress. And that, in turn, Holly, is about equivalent to the growth rate of corporate profits and dividends during that period of time. So for a long-term investor, that's what matters, and that's Bartlett's North Star. Stock prices are going to parallel business performance. And related to that, you have to be invested. So events like September can tempt people toward market timing, the idea that perhaps you should get out, wait till things clarify to get back in. It's very difficult to pull that off with any precision. We have a favorite saying that it's not market timing, but it's time in the market that's going to determine your long-term success. So those would be my key takeaways, just always being risk-aware, always thinking about safeguards in your portfolio, appropriate balance, appropriate diversification. If you have those things in place, it really allows you to think long-term, which is the secret to long to, to investment success over time. Great. As you think about some of those key risks that Bartlett is watching right now, those that may have an impact on the long-term versus just some of the short-term posturing, what are those key risk areas investors should be paying careful attention to? I think foremost would be the probability of rising interest rates over time. Um, we are seeing some other major central banks move on interest rates, such as New Zealand, which has begun raising interest rates. Great Britain seems to be poised to raise interest rates. And eventually that will play out in the United States as the Fed pulls back from these extraordinary monetary policies that were really designed to get us through the pandemic and avert what could have been a cataclysmic economic decline, a depression. Uh, so I think the probability of rising interest rates provoked by these inflation pressures is a key factor. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us today. This is a nice segue as we think about our next podcast, which will be focused on some of those long-term planning items, specifically heading into year-end and then factoring in our charitable giving plans as well. So thank you all for joining us today, and we look forward to being with you here again next time. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate, qualified professional prior to making a final decision.